0: All right, y'all. What are we going to talk about the week after Ananias and Sapphira? Um, I know Memorial Day, people are out of town and all over the place. And so, truly, what Michael said earlier wow, if you missed church last Sunday, we were not expecting the Holy Spirit to just come and invade like that. But sometimes God does things that you're not expecting. And so, we're turning through the book of Acts, reading the story of the early church, and we're applying it to our lives because I believe. Luke's account of the early church is not just a collection of stories. Even more than that, it's a collection of invitations. It's literally an extension to you and to me 2,000 years later to say, hey, this story that began at Pentecost where the Holy Spirit went out, you're a part of this if you're a part of a local church in the era called the already but not yet. What's the already but not yet? We've talked about this many times. Jesus has ushered in a new beginning by dying and rising again and sending his spirit. And the culmination of that will be his return and his eternal reign in his kingdom. The earth will be transformed and so will our bodies. But until that time, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of imperfect, broken people like you and me. And he's making us into the image of Jesus as the kingdom of God is expanding against the kingdom of darkness every day from now until then. We live in that era right now. And in that era, the book of Acts is not a book stuck in the history minds of all of these people who would write about things in the past, no. The book of Acts is an invitation for us in the here and now to go, do you want more of God? Do you want more for your church? Do you want more for your family? Do you want more for yourself? It's available, that's why today's sermon is titled Room for More, Room for More. Can you look at somebody next to you and just say, make room, make room, give me some elbow room, give me some space, come on, make room, make room, we gotta create some space. We've said many times, you can have as much of God as you are willing to create space for. In your life, God will fill whatever room you create for him. If you give him five minutes of attention a day, chances are he's going to fill that five minutes and do more than you expected him to do. But the more you surrender, the more you open yourself up, the more he speaks and the more he moves. I think that's important for us to remember at the beginning of summer because these are typically months where life kind of slows down and rhythms get redefined. Summer is a great opportunity to create some margin to hear from the voice of God. But I don't just want you to create room in your schedule for God to speak. I want you to create space in your heart for God to surprise you. I read something from a theologian this week that said, We we, like the disciples, have to create space in our relationship with Jesus for him to completely shock us by what he does next in our lives. Like when Jesus shows up walking on the water and they're like, whoa, it's a ghost. They weren't going, oh, it's the Son of God demonstrating his sovereign power over the universe. Same way the Spirit hovered over the waters. Look at him. The sun is hovering over the waters. This all makes sense because we know the book. No, no, in the moment they're going, it's a ghost. We're terrified for our lives. And there's moments on your journey and adventure of following Jesus where you're almost bewildered by what hits you that you don't see coming. But I want us as a church family to just agree that if God is who he says he is, no matter how much we know from the scriptures or have a background in church, chances are if you're following Jesus, he has something coming in your life that is going to surprise you and borderline shock you. And if there's a common ground across this room and across every location that's joining me right now, it's that we significantly limit the power in the presence of God by the boundaries we put around what God is capable of doing in and through our lives significantly limiting God's power and God's presence because we make up our minds on our journey. Okay. I know he did those things in the past that kind of shocked me, but I kind of got myself to this place where I can kind of see everything in front of me. And I just want to blow up that picture for a second and go, if everything up into your life now looks totally different than you assumed it would, why do you assume that God is going to do things in a way that looks like your plants? He's going to continue to surprise you. And more than I think he wants to surprise you with like a turn in your career or a turn in the church that you attend or a turn in the circle that you're friends with, I think he wants to surprise you with how readily available his power and his presence are. And I think he wants to wake us up in the book of Acts to go, hey, you know this wasn't just for Peter and a select group of guys, men and women, 2,000 years ago. This is for you right here and right now. I'll tell you ahead of time. This sermon's going to get weird, super weird. It's Acts. It had to get weird at some point. It's going to get weirder after this. Uh, <laughs> thank God Gage Henry's going to handle that. So um, it, it's, going to get, it, it's going to go to a place that some of us might get uncomfortable. Can we just agree for a second that if God is who he says he is, if this, the God of the Bible is moving in this room by the power of the Holy Spirit, does he have permission to surprise you? and to invite you into more of his Holy Spirit, more of his power, and more of his presence. Did you bring your Bible to church today? If you brought your Bible, hold it up all over this space, over every space that's gathered together with us. Keep your Bible in the air. Looking great, guys. Turn with me to Acts chapter five. Acts chapter five, we are going to pick up after the story of Ananias and Sapphira and figure out where in the world does the church go from a man and a woman dropping dead at the first youth meeting? That is what happened last week. We had a man and a woman who lied about how much money they received from the selling of a certain plot of property, and they dropped dead at Peter's feet one at a time. If you hear that and you're like, whoa, I want to hear that sermon, it's on YouTube or it's on the podcast. But what we found out last week is that God did not cause this moment to happen because of greed. He caused this moment to happen because of pretense. Ananias and Sapphira were pretending to give more than they were actually giving for the sake of looking more spiritually mature than they actually were. And in a transitional moment of the people of God, God is making it known my church will not be founded by a group of people who are here to fake it. And so I absolutely, I was absolutely blown away by what God did in the room. And then I read what's next and thought, that is so crazy that this would happen right after A story that shook everybody up and made everyone fear God. Acts chapter 5, we're going to pick up in verse 12. Let's read a few verses and talk about it. If you're there, say, I'm there. Here we go. It says, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Let's make sure we understand this little section. It says they're performing signs and wonders among the people. You should mark that, that is an answer to a word-for-word prayer that the apostles prayed in Acts 4. Remember in Acts 4 when they prayed for boldness? We didn't really talk about this, but they also prayed for signs and wonders. They were like, stretch out your hand, Lord, to do miracles in our day. And it turns out one chapter later, that's exactly what's happening, but the signs and the wonders are accompanied with a reverence and a fear of the Lord. It says they all used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade, but no one dared join them. Anybody else read that? And you're like, why? Why does no one want to hang out with them, even though they were highly regarded by all the people? It's literally because of, I believe, what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. You can translate that verse to mean no one dared pretend to be one of them if they weren't. That they're meeting together, they're doing miracles, and they're doing their thing. And even though the surrounding groups of people love what they're doing and they're all about it, they're like, hey, those people are awesome. I'm not one of them. And, and when I do become one of them, I'm going to jump all in. There was a significant separation between what was happening among the people of God and what was happening among people who were not of the people of God. This verse, along with several others in the New Testament, has impacted my framework on what I believe about the local church a ton. Because I grew up in an era, like many of you have experienced, maybe you didn't grow up in it, but you lived through it, where the church kind of transformed into this commercial for lost people, where it was like, no, you can come, you don't have to believe, like just come, just come do our thing, we just want you to attend, we just want to get you here, and some of that heartbeat was good, because the heart was, man, let's win the loss for Jesus, at the same time, what we compromised was the purity of the people of God where we said anyone and everyone is welcome and there's no separation between the people of God and the people of this world, we need to keep in mind the local church, the body of believers is a gathering of sons and daughters of the living God. It is not a commercial for a lost world to get a diluted version of a gospel that includes things like heaven and hell and sin and righteousness and holiness. It is the gathering of the saints for the purposes of testifying to the kingdom that's expanding to anyone and everyone who would receive him as Lord. So in this moment right now, and you got to notice this week after week, I am talking to Christians when I am preaching I will include on-ramps for people who are not Christians and absolutely invitations and discussions to go, hey, if you wanna learn more about that, or hey, you wanna know why this is kinda weird that we're talking about this. We need to be sensitive and we need to be open and we need to be available, but there's a healthy level of separation where the people of God stop apologizing for being the people of God. And so in this moment, you need to know, I, I am primarily talking to people who are planning on growing deeper in their faith in the hopes that even if people are among us who don't believe what they believe, They see the unmistakable love and unity that is among us, and they know that the God who created everything is here. He's the one who did this. That's the type of separation that's happening here. It's not that they're being exclusive, but it's a healthy level of, no, those are the people of God, and God's doing signs and wonders in ways that are kind of weird, People are trying to get within Peter's shadow just to be healed. We're going to come back to that verse in just one second, because that's not something that we have heard so far in the New Testament. That's an insane level of spiritual power being poured out on a person. We're going to identify what that means. But the church is growing, and the Acts 4 prayer is answered, and then even more miracles are happening in real time. Look at verse 17. It says, Then the high priest and all of his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. This is awesome. Once again, we got people getting thrown in jail. This happened one chapter ago. Miracles are happening, and the Sadducees are jealous. This is the leadership group of the Jews. They can't handle it. So, like, let's just lock them up. That'll make them shut up. And it, it turns out, in an act of spiritual irony, an angel lets them out. It's ironic because the Sadducees didn't believe in angels, they didn't believe in the supernatural. And God's like, oh, oh, this is going to be cool. I'm going to use something they don't even believe in to open up a door, literally, for the gospel to continue to go out. I mean, this is miraculous. This is absolutely incredible. And I love that at the end, the angel says, go and continue to testify about what? About this new life. See, according to the scriptures, the gospel is not a set of doctrines you believe in or don't believe in. The gospel is an invitation to new life. Here it is. He didn't say go and tell them what they should believe instead of what they currently believe. The Gospel of John says that by believing we may have life in his name. Jesus himself said, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. The message of Jesus and the message we're offering today is the fullness of life you are actually created for. The fullness of purpose, the fullness of freedom, the fullness of a future that you couldn't have without God. It is not, Christianity is not simply a set of things that we go, hey, we all agree to these things and we believe these things, I'll see you guys in heaven. It is a fullness of life available in the here and now that watch this, and this is where we're gonna go today and it's gonna get weird, but you already agreed to make room for more. It is a fullness of life that includes the miraculous hand of God. Now, this is where for a lot of us, even if we won't say it out loud, we tune out of a story like this. Even in our heads as we read it, I know there are some people going, come on, I I love the Bible and I know God can do whatever, but come on, people are trying to get within a guy's shadow to get healed and impure spirits are being removed and oh yeah, they're thrown in jail and an angel just shows up. And opens the door. Even if we wouldn't say that out loud, there's a part of us that's like, okay, I'm sure if I was there and I saw it, I would actually believe it. But you need to remember, in the book of Acts especially, but all through the New Testament, miracles do not happen so that cool mystical moments happen and the people go, whoa, God's cool. Miracles happen as a secondary testimony to the word of grace. The reason why Jesus did the miracles he did was to testify to the truth of the message he brought, which was what? Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. So the miracle served to confirm his testimony. That's why when the Jewish leadership tried to point the finger at Jesus and go, he's doing these miracles by the power of the devil. He's using darkness to do what he's doing, which, by the way, that's possible. Remember when Moses was in Egypt and there were those sorcerers and magicians who could do the same miracles he could do? Like turn things into snakes and all kinds. You need to read Exodus if you haven't yet. But it's crazy because you find out there are other spiritual powers out there that can do cool signs and wonders. But Jesus' signs and wonders weren't aimed at proving that he was a Jedi. His, His signs and wonders were aimed at testifying to the kingdom. Because what was he doing? He's giving sight to the blind. Allowing people to hear who couldn't hear. Cleansing those who had leprosy, raising the dead. His miracles were testimony to the truth of his message, which is there is a kingdom that has come from heaven and it has arrived in the here and now. And I want you to mark in the passage we just read, notice how all of these miracles are aimed at testifying so that more and more people may be saved. It's not. Everybody thought it was so cool what was happening as people were getting healed and as doors were being opened. It's, no, now I didn't open this door so y'all could go run free and go celebrate the fact that you don't have to go to jail anymore. I opened this door so you could go right back to the temple and testify about this new life. The purpose of miracles and suffering, by the way, is that we would testify to the truth and the authenticity of the message of Jesus. And so if I'm gonna make that claim, We got to deal with what's super strange about Acts chapter 5, other than Ananias and Sapphira, which we dealt with last week. What's super strange about what we just read is not just that jail doors were open so that people could testify. It's this statement that's made about Peter that's not even made about Jesus during His earthly ministry in any of the gospels. I'll read it again. Acts 5, 15. I love the numbers five and 15. I grew up uh, wearing number 15 or number five. I was a big, I still am big Eagles fan. Donovan McNabb was number five. But then, um, Number five was retired across my entire high school, the whole fifth quarter movie. You know, that was actually about my high school, so I couldn't wear number five, so I wore number 15. So Acts 5.15, I just read this this week, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I don't know if this is relevant for anybody. I did not practice this, and so that's coming out right now. I'm trying to stay in the moment with you guys. Acts 5.15, what did it say? As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed so we have the presence of supernatural power through a man that is unheard of up until this time in Israel's history there's a lot of scholarly debate about what this verse means does this literally mean Everybody was just trying to get close enough to Peter and just Peter to get healed. Like, why Peter? Is he, is, is he different than all the other apostles? Is he given, like, a, a, a special level of power because of the way Jesus changed his name? Like, what, what exactly is happening here? But I want to argue today, and I've done a ton of study about this. You can do some research yourself. I want to argue that Acts 5.15 is intended to do what Luke wants to do with all of his gospel and all of the book of Acts, which is what? I've been saying it every week. Complete the redemptive story of God from Old Testament to New Testament. Luke has this theme that runs through and through his gospel and through and through Acts, which is, hey, you know all these stories from back here? Jesus is not a new thing. He's the culmination of the patriarchs. He's the culmination of the law. He's the culmination of the prophets. This is a story God has been writing from the beginning. And boom, Jesus is here. Messiah is here. Kingdom is here. You don't have to wonder about it. It is here. And I would argue for a Jewish mind in the first century, there are few verses stronger at testifying to the presence of said kingdom than Acts 5.15. Why? Because there's a prophecy about the kingdom of God written in the book of Isaiah that almost describes this scene word for word. Isaiah was written 800 years before Jesus ever showed up. And there's a prophecy, you don't have to turn there, I'm gonna read the verses to you in Isaiah 32 about what would happen when this kingdom starts expanding. And here's what it says, just read this. It says, see, a king will reign in righteousness, that's Jesus, and rulers will rule with justice. Each one will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. Then the eyes of those who see will no longer be closed and the ears of those who hear will listen. Y'all pay attention to what I'm about to bring because i got a lot of cool stuff today. This might be the coolest thing. Isaiah is prophesying about a coming kingdom. And this kingdom is characterized by a king. That's what the word kingdom means, who reigns with righteousness. But apparently, it's not just about a king. There's rulers as well. There's rulers who are going to usher in an era. So much more needs to be said on top of what I'm about to say, but just I have, you, you have to hear this to fully understand this in context. The, the idea of a Messiah for a Jew is very different than our picture of Messiah as Gentiles 2,000 years after Jesus. For us, Messiah is a person, Jesus. For them, Messiah is the son of David who would usher in an era. So it was just as much a time to live in as it was about a person who would usher it in. And Isaiah 32 is about a king who would usher in a reign of righteousness and rulers who are gonna come rule on his behalf and bring in this kingdom to the world to function in what way? Like streams of water in a desert, like refuge from the storm. And oh yeah, like the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. What does Peter's name mean? You remember when Jesus changed Peter's name, his name was Simon? He says, "No, no, no. Your name is now Cephas." What does it mean? Rock. "On this rock I will build my church." When Luke says the sick and the hurting and the demon-possessed were just trying to get in the shadow of the rock, he is saying the kingdom's here, y'all. It's it's now. He's not saying, oh, Peter, he just got this special power. Nobody else has power like this. Like if you just get with his shadow, if you could just touch his cloak, if you could just, no, Peter is special and he does have a special role in the story. But this verse is so much more about kingdom and our participation than it is about Peter having special power. In the shadow of the great rock, here comes the kingdom of God. And here comes what? The eyes who see will no longer be closed and the ears of those who hear will listen. This is not intended to disconnect us from this verse and cause us to go, well, that happened in Acts, or that happened for Peter. It's intended to cause us, look up here, as New Testament Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit, to go, hold on, maybe the power that's inside of me is bigger than I thought. I believe that the same spirit that indwelled Peter 2,000 years ago is in this room, present in your life if you're a believer in Jesus. and That's a bold, controversial statement. Because, and this will be new information to a lot of you, there are entire theological perspectives that are built on the idea that what God did in the book of Acts was a one-time thing. That what God did among the apostles was just for the apostles in that particular era. And there are like well-meaning pastors and leaders who believe that. It's a theological perspective called cessationism. It's the idea that, listen, God did something special in the early church, but once the canon of scripture was closed a couple hundred years after these events, that was it. Like now we got the scriptures and yes, the Holy Spirit connects us to God, but there's no more prophecy There's no more healing. There's no more like supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit. We got everything we need in the Bible and now we can just kind of leave behind that weird stuff. And as much as I want to be honoring and respectful of different perspectives, I also want to be clear. At ACC, we do not endorse a cessationist picture of the scriptures we are what is called continuationists, which is what? The Holy Spirit is still alive and active. God is still doing miracles. The Holy Spirit is still raising the dead. People are still being healed. There is supernatural power still available for us. And I know there's a lot that needs to be said with that. But you need to understand the power that we're talking about is not a power that is stuck in the pages of Scripture. By the way, just so you know, there is nothing in the New Testament that points to the idea that the Holy Spirit planned on his gifts ceasing at the death of the apostles. Nothing. That is a man made assertion that I believe is rooted in fear because of those of us who haven't tasted the supernatural. So we create a doctrine around our fear that keeps everything safe in a cage. Instead of opening our minds with curiosity to go, God, if there's more of you, I want it. And if there's more you're doing that I'm not seeing, open my eyes. Don't let me become a closed-minded, fundamentalist Christian who bangs my fist in my Bible and relieves me from ever having the responsibility of calling on you to do more. That's what I believe it's about. And here... And we wanna stay open and go, God, if you're doing something, even if it's something that we're not comfortable with, we believe you're still moving. But here's what's so sad. Even though, and I knew you guys were gonna clap. I thought more of you were gonna clap when I said the Spirit is still at work, but a few of you did. So I was counting on that. That's why I kind of built up my voice in that moment a little bit. I was counting on y'all, because I know y'all, y'all are like, yeah, the Holy Spirit's still moving. Absolutely, come on. Come on. Okay, but even though we'll get so excited about the continual presence of the Holy Spirit, most of us, including me, function as if we are cessationists we don't live our lives with any expectation of the supernatural nobody showed up at church today expecting somebody who's sick to be healed nobody showed up today expecting god to just turn the whole atmosphere upside down and do something we weren't expecting we function and part of that is orderly but we function and i function as those who have limited our expectations of god and what I want to argue from Acts chapter 5 today is that if we're going to be the people of God, we've got to be people who don't measure spiritual maturity just by what someone knows, by whether or not, but, but we need to measure it by whether or not the kingdom of God arrives when they walk in the room. The challenge of Acts 5 and what Luke is saying is wherever Peter went, the kingdom went. Is that true about your life? I'm not up here to tell you you need to supernaturally be able to heal people and pray one prayer and somebody gets their hearing back and somebody gets their sight back. And I'm, not, I'm not trying to make this weird, but I'm trying to make sure we as a church don't affirm a view of God that's bigger than what we are willing to actually practice. And if we open our minds to the fact that, hey, this kingdom that Jesus ushered in 2,000 years ago is here now. God might be ready and willing to reveal new things that absolutely none of us have really seen before. And if he's going to do that, we're gonna to have to strip off the limitations. And most of the limitations are fear, number one, fear about being weird and self-consciousness about our own sin. Whenever you start talking about the supernatural, we all of a sudden start disconnecting ourselves because we go, okay, if God, even, okay, even if I do believe he does still do that stuff, he's not gonna do it through me. There's no way he could deal with the secret stuff that I got going on, with the stuff that nobody sees, with the attitudes that haven't been worked out, with the sanctification that, no. If he's going to do that, he's going to save that for somebody who's actually walking in righteousness. But before you finish that point, you need to keep in mind, Luke is not saying this about just any apostle. He's saying it about the ultimate failure, Peter, rock, I love that when Jesus goes to build his church, he builds it on the foundation of a fickle man who abandoned Jesus the night before he died. Because it's an invitation to you and an invitation to me that says, my power is not reserved for those who have figured it all out. My power is reserved for those who are humble enough to receive and to walk in what's rightfully theirs because of the blood. If Peter's doing this not long after that ultimate failure that night, What might be possible for you and be possible for me if I open my mind to more of God right where I stand in the here and now and say, God, if you're doing more in my life, if you're doing more in the world, I wanna be open to it. And guys, I am not just talking about supernatural miracles of healing. I'm talking about all of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about families being redefined and turned upside down by the power of God in a way where you might've written somebody off and thought God could never and would never be able to do that talking about creating space, creating more room in our lives to go, God, you're bigger than I thought, and I surrender. How do we do that? Are we okay, by the way? Are we okay? You see why I struggle with this sermon so much this week? Okay, number one, I got two points, and then I'm done. Number one, oh, this, I don't even want to read the point. Um, cre- cre- okay, we got to make more room. Create room for the possibility of miracles. Create room for the possibility of miracles. I'm talking about going beyond human limitations. And when I say miracle, I'm not just talking about God violating physical time and space to do something unlikely. I'm talking about an act of God that humanity left to themselves would not be able to do. So I'm gonna tell you a story about a miracle that happened in our church. Before I do that, I want you to know that just as much as this miracle story is true, so are others. There was a dad that sent a message they serve in acc kids in our church he sent a message to our staff team on friday he said today is my wife and i's 30-year wedding anniversary and i just wanted to say thank you to auburn community church because had we not gone to this church in 2019 it would have ended in divorce celebrated 30 years this weekend and he he wrote it to say count it as a miracle that is the miraculous hand of god just as much as physical supernatural healing. And we need to have a framework in our minds that goes, where God does what's impossible with man, miracles are on display. And that's what the Holy Spirit's all about. But I know what you're thinking. You're like, okay, I get the miracle of families redefined and people getting baptized who we didn't think we're gonna get baptized. But anytime we start talking about the supernatural, particularly when it comes to things like sickness, we kind of pull away and get weird. And trust me, I do too, I do. But when I was over in the United Kingdom about a month ago, I was so encouraged by what I was learning from these different pastors. And it was amazing. Most of the tribe Courtney and I were hanging out with over in England are Anglican charismatics, which if you know anything about church, you're like, those two things can go together. How? It's kind of like ACC Um, because it's like super serious about the doctrine of scripture, but also super open to what the Holy Spirit might do in a given moment. And there was this guy up there talking. He was like, you know, revival And the kingdom of God has landed in your city if. And he put a list up. And it was so encouraging for me. Because we had just come off baptizing 100 people and seeing God move in a powerful way. Every single box that he put on the screen. I was like, check, check, yes, yes. Oh my goodness, we are a part of a move of God. This is amazing. He was just naming like, when the Holy Spirit falls on your land in a powerful way, these are some markers that you'll see. And we checked the box on all of them. Except the sick being healed. And I was just like, ah, I'm sure that's happening. I just don't know about it, but I'm sure the prayer team, you know, they're kind of weird. Like, like, like they, they see some stuff over the love you prayer team, but I'm sure they've seen some stuff. So maybe I could call them and hear a story, but I, I like lightly prayed in my heart. I was like, God, please like do a miracle in that area. And, and remind me that, that, that it's, it's kind of selfish, but I just want to see your miraculous hand at work. Okay. So we come back from England first Sunday. We're back. There's a, Two grandparents who tracked down one of our elders, David Fickner, and they say, hey, our son and his wife are about to move to Augusta, but they just gave birth to a little girl who cannot hear. And before they move, and, and, and this couple had come to our church for a while, but they weren't like super involved, but the grandparents were the one pushing for it. They're like, we wanted to get the elders together and pray that she would regain the ability to hear it was right over there after one of the services i never met this couple before i just happened to be in the vicinity when the conversation was happening it was like okay so we grabbed some of the elders but we grabbed some of the prayer team as well it doesn't special about the elders praying like no everybody's filled with the holy spirit we're there and we're leaned in we're like god and i remember the prayer specifically was god open her ears that she may hear your voice first and foremost We pray no no longer than 10 minutes, hug this family. Hey, keep in touch as you guys head off to Augusta. It's great. Nothing happens in the moment. But two weeks later, the grandparents come back and tell us, hey, we're like full blast moving them to Augusta, but just wanted to come back so you guys could celebrate this together. She can hear. And we're like, yes! I mean, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, oh, we got one. Let's go. <laughs> but listen, listen, I know, even as I tell that story, I am so nervous telling that story here because we have built this church about being so passionate about the scriptures that even anything that remotely looks like something weird, a lot of us, including me, I went to Reformed Theological Seminary, guys. If you know anything about theology, that is like as far away from miracles and healings as you can be. I promise you, I'm with you. I know it's weird, but I've also recognized that I think our commitment to stay dogmatic about the scriptures is limiting what the Holy Spirit wants to pour out in our church right now. And I'm admitting that about me. So if that's true about me, it's true about a lot of you. And if we could get humble enough to go, no, we're not going to go crazy and get weird and have training sessions for people to learn to speak in tongues or something crazy that may have happened in your church growing up. No, you guys know we're not that we're not that, but we are saying here's more God wants to pour out. And if he does, this doesn't have to be something that we push into a weird corner of our church for the charismatic people. This could be something that we go, God, if there's more you want to reveal, and you're doing it through imperfect people in our day, and we believe the Holy Spirit's on the move, bring it on, and we trust you. Much needs to be said, I promise I'm almost done, it, first close. Um, whenever this gets talked about, something needs to be said about spiritual gifts. And I really view this as an introductory conversation just to open us up to build our expectation for more of God. I, I know we need to download stuff about spiritual gifts and so many questions need to be answered, but I want you to view this today as just, hey church, what if we open ourselves up to the fact that God might wanna do more than we're giving him credit for? Create room for the possibility of miracles. Number two, and I'm done. Keys, come up here so I'll be quiet. Number two, create room for the possibility of miracles, but also create room for the inevitability of suffering great room for the inevitability of suffering. I find it shocking that as much as the presence and power of God can be surprising for Christians, the thing that surprises them more is when suffering happens that God chooses not to lift. Peter says we cannot be surprised by the fiery ordeal that has come upon us as if something strange were happening to us. See, you you, you can't read Acts chapter 5 and have a party about the doors of a jail being unlocked or about people getting healed in Peter's shadow without acknowledging the fact that suffering still exists. And if you're not prepared for the inevitability of suffering, you will use God's power and his sovereignty as a weapon against him when he doesn't come through with the miracle you are hoping for. As great as it is to celebrate the doors of the jail being opened, There are moments in all of the apostles' lives where the door stays locked, where the sword goes through, where the ruling is given. In fact, just so you believe me, I made a quick list, and this is not an exhaustive list. This is a quick list of some of the apostles in the book of Acts and how their story ended. Let's just go in order of who wrote the New Testament. Matthew, who wrote the gospel of Matthew, he was martyred by the sword. Mark, who wrote the gospel of Mark, was dragged through the streets of Alexandria and then martyred. Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts, the words that you're reading right now, he was hanged on an olive tree in Greece. John was scarred so bitterly after being thrown into a cauldron of boiling oil and was banished to an island on Patmos. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. James, the first James, was beheaded in Jerusalem. The other James was thrown from a high place and beaten to death with a club. Philip was either hanged or crucified or beheaded. We don't know, but it was one of the three, if not multiple. Bartholomew was scourged and beaten until he died. Andrew was crucified and preached from a cross in modern day Russia until he died. Thomas was run through with four spears in India because he spread the gospel that far. Simon the Zealot was killed in Persia after he refused to sacrifice to the sun god. Jude was executed with arrows. Matthias, who we met in Acts 1, was stoned and beheaded, could have been burned as well. Barnabas was stoned and beheaded. Paul was beheaded in Rome. For all of them who experienced the supernatural deliverance of God in moments like what we're reading, all of them demonstrated a testimony to the gospel that far exceeded the power of the miracles that looked like faithfulness in the face of suffering. So remember earlier in the sermon, I told you, what's the point of miracles? It's not that we would walk around going, ooh, cool, power is on display. It's so that we would go, this message is actually real. But a more powerful testimony than any of the miraculous works of God in our day is the faithful heart of a suffering believer who holds on firm to Jesus until the end. Why? Because the prize of the Christian life is not the power of God. The prize of the Christian life is the presence of God. The treasure is Jesus, not God's cool stuff, not God's cool moments, it's him. And every single one of these apostles went to their deaths, beholding the glory of God. Y'all just wait, in a couple of weeks, we're gonna read about the first martyr, Stephen, and he's gonna have a moment of intimacy with Jesus that will change your life forever. You want more of God, it's not just about signing up for more cool miracles. It's about, is following Jesus worth dying for? And will you be faithful even if every single prayer for a miraculous breakthrough seems like it's unanswered, but answered in total for all of eternity? Let's remember what this is all about as we take communion together. You can get your elements out right now. If you didn't get one, you can just raise your hand right where you're at. I want us to remember The cross of Jesus, you raise your hand high, they'll find you. If you wanna come forward to one of the communion stations and kneel and pray, you're more than welcome to do that. I recognize that this is a hard, complicated teaching for many of us, but I truly just wanna invite us into more of God. This is the body and the blood of Christ. We remember what it took to have the access to God that we currently have. Husbands, please pray over your wives. This is a good sermon for us to take a moment and catch our breath before we sing one lyric and then we'll come right back. Y'all take communion and then we'll sing.